Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray together as we stand. Heavenly Father, indeed, as we have sung, you are the God who deserves every breath that we take, for you give each one. And yet you are the God who loves us uh, so much that you would send your Son, uh, loves us so much that you would send him not just to forgive us, but to cause us to follow him. And so, Father, we do pray that as we open your word again this morning, that we would read it as it really is, not the words of men, uh, but the word of our God, and that in that word that we would meet Jesus and that we would follow him afresh this day. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, please uh, turn back into the uh, passage that Gilbert read for us, uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, page 1032 of the Church Bibles, as we continue this series in the early chapters of Luke's Gospel together. If you've been here in recent weeks, you may remember that this series, the purpose of this series is uh, designed to cause us to see Jesus and his ministry to us as increasingly precious, not something that was precious when we first believed and came to trust him, uh, but something that remains precious each and every day, and increasingly so. As we have seen, as we've uh, worked our way through Luke chapter 4 thus far, the ministry of Jesus Christ is a ministry of proclaiming favour. He was anointed, he was sent to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives. At the end of uh, Luke chapter 5, he will say, I have come for sinners. I've not come for those who think they're sorted out. I've not come for the well. I've come for the sick. I've come for those who know they are in need of forgiveness. He's come for us. He's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. A year that wonderfully, uh, in Luke 4 verse 21, he says, Today that year is fulfilled. Today that day has come. And what wonderfully happens in these early chapters of Luke is that we get accounts of day after day of this favour. Uh, day after day we see that. We saw that in the, uh, the latter part of Luke 4 last week, a whole series of events that happened in just one day of Jesus' ministry. And as we turn to Luke 5 this morning, once again we are shown just one day in this ministry, the difference a day can make. Uh, You see that in Luke 5 verse 1, it is again another one day in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this particular day in the ministry of Jesus Christ is all about fishing. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if you're much of a fisherman or fisherwoman. Uh, I I love fishing, I'm terrible at it, but I love fishing and did a lot of it uh, when I was younger. Uh, One of my endearing memories of uh, fishing was uh, catching a seagull uh, rather than a fish. Uh, off a boat ramp. There I was at the boat ramp, people were pulling in boats and so I thought this looks like a good spot to fish. Cast out the line and at the corner of my eye I can see the seagull floating across, seeing this piece of bait on the line thinking that looks tasty. And so I went to grab the bait and got its wing hooked on, uh, on the line and so I'm very carefully, tentatively trying to wind in this line as the bird is flapping around and everyone is looking at me like some horrible person. <laughs> Who would do that? Who would catch a, a seagull? managed to uh, prize it out and uh, let him go. Uh, A few years later, the same boat ramp, same, I imagine, same seagull, same result. (laughs) Uh, But one of of my favourite memories of fishing, and this is because I am quite a lazy fisherman, uh, was uh, a place that uh, my brother and I used to go on holiday uh, as a family, and there was a jetty just uh, down the road from uh, where we were staying. 
And what we would do is sometime in the morning, uh, we'd head to this jetty and we'd uh, drop the line in and then that would be all the activity that the day involved, the rest of the day involved uh, taking a nap in the sun on this jetty. But on this particular day, I remember at the end of the uh, quite a long afternoon nap, uh, pulling in the line and there was a fish. Absolutely no effort required, pure grace. Uh, Also on fishing, uh, you can see uh, this uh, sermon has given me an opportunity to to explore all my fishing memories. Uh, One of my favourite movies is a movie uh, by the name of A River Runs Through It. If you've never seen it, it's compulsory viewing. A wonderful movie. And uh, it's a a film all about trout fishing, fly fishing. And uh, very early on, the main character says this. He says, My father was very sure about certain matters pertaining to the universe. To him, all good things, whether trout fishing or eternal salvation, came by grace alone. As we turn to Luke 5, we are looking at a day all about fish and eternal salvation, a day only God's grace can bring about. Let's have a look at it together. Just these first 11 verses of Luke 5, there's only two players, two main players in the scene, Jesus and Simon. Uh, They're going to start the day undertaking two very different fishing expeditions, uh, but they'll end the day as fishing partners. Uh, But first, uh, we're going to watch Jesus. He will fish not for fish, but for Simon himself. And we have the privilege in these verses of watching him reel in this man, Simon. And so let's begin this day of favour, the day of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, It's not a surprise that this happens at the start of this day. As we saw last week, the ministry of Jesus Christ is first and foremost a preaching ministry. He serves us by teaching us, teaching us of this favour. It's a word that we saw in Luke 4 that is spoken with authority and power. A word so different to the empty words that we often hear. This verse 1 is, we're told, the word of our God. And so here on this day, by the water, Jesus speaks the word of God and the people crowd in to hear it. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Try to imagine that scene on the edge of this lake. Can you see it? Jesus standing there on the water's edge as his crowd sort of inches forward, closer and closer, desperate, hungry to hear every word that he is speaking. And I suspect even here in this very first verse, there's a challenge for us, isn't there? Uh, We who this very day have been privileged to hear the gracious word of our God, not the word of men, but the word of God. And let me ask you, as Gilbert read earlier for us from Luke 5 and ended with the familiar patter of, this is the word of the Lord. And we said familiarly, uh, thanks be to God. Uh, were you thankful? Now, what was going on in your heart as the Bible was read this morning? Uh, were you calling to mind that here in this place, this very building, the word by which God made the heavens and the earth, the word of the Spirit, the word of grace, was passing through your ears, into your consciousness, into your heart. The word of God was doing that. Let me ask you, as the verses were read, were you hungry for more? Hungry, in the words of the Psalms, to taste and see in this word that the Lord is good. Were you, as the people are in Luke 5, verse 1, crowding in, leaning forward as God speaks, expectant, Well, today, listen uh, to Luke 5 as we look at it together, realising who is speaking to you this morning. 
and pray, perhaps pray even just quietly now in your heart that he would indeed cause you to hunger for what he has to say to you. Now Jesus in this scene is surrounded by this hungry crowd and you can almost picture the scene as he backs up as they inch forward until he feels the sort of the lap of water on his feet. And so verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. I love this verse and Luke does this a lot. He carefully fills in the details of the context for us, the context into which this word of God is spoken. Now here is the word of God proclaimed in the wild, and not in some religious setting, not, not like the synagogue of Luke 4. Here it is in the wild. And I suspect, again for us, we get used to hearing God speak to us in, if you like, safe zones, uh, church buildings, uh, small groups. But now we see that this word of God is spoken in the real world too, a world here of work. Uh, Here is a word with power not just in church buildings but office blocks and classrooms and kitchens and home visits and hospital wards. Here is a word uh, with authority to speak into those situations. And so Luke in verse 2 fills the detail in for us, this pressing crowd, these boats and fishermen on the edge of this scene, busy, at work washing their nets uh, more than likely at the end of a night's work. They've just finished their day's or night's labour and so they're off on the edge of this scene as Jesus teaches, just busy at work. But amongst all of this activity in this scene, amongst all of the detail, Jesus has his heart very much focused on one person, one of these workers, one of the fishermen named Simon. And so very deliberately, verse 3, Jesus chooses to put himself into Simon's boat There were two on offer, he chose Simon's. And now Simon, uh, busy on the edge of this scene, uh, washing the nets, would have seen this. He would have looked up. Uh, Here Jesus wants to fish too. But he's not after fish, he's after Simon. Now if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll know that already this character Simon, we've met him before, he is a man who is already, his life is entwined with Jesus. If you look back at Luke 4, he was there in Capernaum. He was there in the synagogue as Jesus cast out the evil spirit. Uh, He was the one who invited Jesus uh, back to his home where he raised from fever his mother-in-law. He was the one who at at that doorstep of that same home saw him heal many in the town. He'd seen and heard amazing things from Jesus. But here as uh, Luke 5 begins, he remains at a distance. Now, while Jesus teaches the crowd, Simon occupies himself with the business of the day, washing the nets. And Jesus asks Simon, though, to join him, uh, to put out a little from shore. Simon agrees, hops into the boat with Jesus, and they push out a little from shore. If you like, in fishing uh, terminology, terminology, this is like the, the first nibbles of discipleship. J- Jesus is fishing for Simon. Here's the, the first little bite. If you've ever been fishing, you know that moment where you feel a little tug on the line here it is the first nibble of discipleship but at this stage as simon gets in this boat and they drift out a little from the shore he has no idea of what is happening to him he's sitting in this gospel bearing boat being taken away from shore now this is the beginning for simon he will not touch the shore again until his life is completely changed now i don't know what your experience of coming to trust and follow the lord was whether it was a a quick process or whether it took many years but I suspect for some here you'll know this experience of this slow beginning of your journey towards trusting Jesus those first steps of discipleship 
I remember in my first year of secondary school, uh, I just started going along to the local youth group and uh, we'd gone on a little day trip. We'd gone abseiling together. And at the end of the day, we're driving back in a four-wheel drive and I'm in the sort of the second row of seats and there in the front row are these people talking about the grace of God. They're arguing about it together, chatting about it together and I'm just sort of eavesdropping, listening in, hearing these words about Christ, words that at that point meant very little to me. Uh, Words that were being sown into my heart long before they bore fruit. That's the sort of picture we have here as Simon sits there in the boat, bobbing up and down as Jesus teaches. But verse 4, Jesus now finishes with the crowd, at least for now, but not with Simon. There he is, bobbing up and down in this boat as the crowd begins to disperse. Simon's probably thinking at this point, good, now I can get back to the shore and get on with life, get on with washing the nets. And perhaps, again, some here will feel that way when listening to the Word of God on a Sunday. Interesting, perhaps helpful at points. But after the service is over, there will be some who will be just happy to get on with life, real life. But Jesus has other plans for Simon. He's not fishing for an hour and a quarter of Simon's time. He's fishing for everything. And so he says to Simon, verse 4, these remarkable words, put out into deep water, Simon. And let down the nets for a catch. All of a sudden things have got a lot more serious and strange for Simon. This doesn't make sense. He's a fisherman. He knows what fishing is about. You can almost imagine him saying, sorry Jesus, I must have misheard you. For for a second I thought you said put out into the deep for a catch. But that's just silly. You can't have said that. It's the wrong place to fish. It's the wrong time to fish. I, I must have misheard you. No. Simon put out into deep and let down the nets for a catch. Verse 5, before us in this passage, the first part of it anyway, is uh, Simon's frustrated response. What does a carpenter know about fishing? What does a a synagogue teacher know about deep sea fishing? Jesus is overstepping the mark here. He is overstepping his area of expertise. In this boat, uh, on this lake, Simon is boss. Uh, But here's the real Jesus. Not the safe religious one that we invent and we can pack away in the box at the end of Sunday. No, the Jesus who comes to minister to us, comes to intrude into the privacy of our everyday lives, the one who comes to invade our thought life and our home life, who sits with us at our meals tables and joins us in our relationships, in our workplaces, our holidays, our hobbies. He comes to intrude in the very private, personal realm of everything. And Simon is squirming as he experiences that here. You're a teacher, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. Uh, You're a teacher, Jesus. I'm an accountant. You're a teacher, Jesus. I'm a doctor. I'm a businessman. I'm a mum. I'm a nurse. What do you know about what I do? Your thing is Sunday services and small groups and songs of praise. Jesus, we're not in that sphere, thinks Simon. I'm at work here. Here I am qualified. I'm the expert here. I don't need your handy tips. Uh, but he will find out that Jesus is indeed well qualified. He is Lord of all, even fish and fishermen. Uh, But for now, in this first part of verse 5, Simon is speaking frankly, having been told by this carpenter how to fish in the wrong place at the worst time, invited basically to undertake an expedition that has failure written all over it. He grabs the newly cleaned nets and his partners, James and John, and they push out into the deep. They do it. Why? Why? 
Is it to sort of humour Jesus? Look, he has no idea what he's talking about fishing, but he wants to fish, let's go out. Or perhaps some sort of hospitality, it's the right thing to do. No, do you see the reason he gives in verse 5? It's because Jesus, the one who speaks uh, words of authority, has told him to do it. Verse 5, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because of your word, I will do it. Did you hear that? Simon's response. Let let her hang in the air just for a moment in, in front of us. Because of your word, I will do it. Here is what discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ really looks like. Following Jesus is not some sort of vague general experience. It's not being a churchgoer. It's not being a volunteer. It's not feeling warm and fuzzy about Jesus. Now, here is discipleship at work. Christian discipleship ultimately is taking Christ at his word. Because of your word, I will do it. That's all Simon had to go on. All he had to go on was the word of Christ. But let me ask you, isn't that the same for us? Consider the very foundations of your faith as a Christian. On what grounds do you have the sure hope of heaven? Uh, Is it not the word, the promise of Christ? On what grounds, as we confessed our sins this morning in the confession, do you know you have freedom from guilt? Is it again not the word of promise, the word of Christ? Christian discipleship, both at this bedrock level and in all of our life, is simply this, taking Christ at his word. And you see here the cost of that for Simon in this sphere of his work. That meant, firstly, the loss of convenience. For us, uh, this, this simple line of them washing the nets and then having to drag them back is no big deal, but that was a long, painstaking process. Now he has to go out and drag them out again. Uh, then I imagine there was a loss of status, Imagine this crowd as they watched Simon, this expert fisherman, push his boat out into the deep again at the exact wrong point of the day. Sniggers, no doubt. What's he doing? And then it involves others, and isn't that the case with obedience to the Word of Christ? It's not an individual thing, is it? It involves our relationships, our spouses, our children, our colleagues. You start to heed the Word of God and it affects everything. And so here is the challenge. Are we prepared to, in in parts of our life where we are boss, where we are most expert, most well thought out, are we prepared to let the word of Christ call the tune? Will we obey him? Or are we uh, not prepared to push out into the deep with him, either because uh, we doubt he knows better than us, or perhaps he's not as committed to our good as we are, or frankly, are we just a bit scared that where deep water discipleship, deep obedience to Christ will lead us? Because we're kind of comfortable and safe where we are. Now ask yourself today, are you in over your head with Jesus? Or are you just splashing about on the shoreline? Are Sunday mornings, and perhaps if you're in a small group, just a, a chance to paddle about for a little while before heading back to the shore of normal life? Life where the word of Christ has no sway. Or perhaps this morning, are you prepared to say to Jesus at work, in your home, in your family, in your finances, whatever, because of your word, Christ, I will do it. Verse 5, Jesus is fishing for Simon and here in verse 5 is another nibble, a big one. Simon pulls on the oars and the boat surges out into the deep and the nets are lowered, it's time to fish. You see it there, verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now what a scene. Can you imagine it? There in the middle of this lake, these two boats. Imagine the dispersing crowd heading up the hill, seeing this strange event. The, the sort of the closed mouth sniggers that they first had when they saw Simon heading out to sea would have given way to open mouth gasps of astonishment. This is the catch of the lifetime, the catch of the century. This is the sort of thing that would have been on the front page of the Gennesaret Times. Beyond their expectations, nets bursting, boats sinking. Uh, here's an experience of life, uh, working life beyond their imaginings. And here's the thing, here's an audacious claim for you this morning, but one I suspect that is, has the full backing, the full weight of God's true word. If you want to be blessed in life, if you want to live life to the full, you cannot unless you live all of life obedient to the word of Christ. If you want to be a blessed worker, you must work as one who says, even when it's against your instincts, because of your word, I will do it. And uh, not blessed in some sort of naive equation of heed God's word and you will prosper financially. You'll get promotion after promotion after promotion. That's not the point here. And Simon will prove that at the end of our passage in verse 11 where he abandons the catch of the century anyway. It's not merely that heeding the word of Christ gets you stuff. That's the shallow end of discipleship. It's that heeding the word of Christ causes you to live as you were created to live as one made in the image of God, as a worker made in the image of God, as one who heeds the voice of the one who made you and loves you. Heeding the word of Christ causes you to have the blessing of fellowship with him. That's the real blessing here. The blessing of knowing that the one you are heeding, the the deeper you go with him, the more you heed his voice, even when the fear of the consequences of heeding it grows, the more you discover how utterly satisfying he is. Now, Simon is just beginning that journey here. Jesus speaks, he heeds, and the results are spectacular. So imagine the scene, Simon sitting back in his sinking boat, laden with fish. He looks up at Jesus, and verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. It's a remarkable statement, isn't it? You you sort of wonder all the sort of things that Simon might have said at that point. Oh, gee, thanks, Jesus, this is fantastic. But it's not like that at all, is it? He's been utterly found out by this moment. Here is the moment that changes everything for Simon. You can see that even his name changes here to Simon Peter. It started with a reluctant agreement to sit in the boat with Jesus and now that boat is sinking and he sees Jesus, he sees this grace, this favour that Jesus has been speaking about and all of a sudden he is stripped of all his self-assuredness, self-confidence. This Jesus, this teacher, this one in the boat with him, this one who spoke and the fish sort of leap into the nets, now this one passing in front of him is the very glory of God unveiled. Here is the majesty, the supremacy of God, the sovereignty of God unfurled in this man Jesus. He'd had an inkling of it in Luke 4. He'd seen what Jesus had done in Capernaum. But somehow it hadn't demolished his self-assurance. Somehow it hadn't broken through. But all of that's come crashing down now. He sees Jesus for who he is. He is the Lord, not just teacher, but King, his God. And his God has just walked into his workplace. 
And I suspect there are parts of our life where we feel king, don't we? Where we're in control. And for many here uh, who are workers, work will be one of those places where you feel in control. At least I know what I'm doing there. Where you are most sure of who you are. I remember that in my days before Bible college, working for Unilever. Felt completely in control of my little, my little niche part of uh, the work. Andrew Reese, the king of third-party production planning. Well, Simon's the king of this lake. Well, what are you king of this morning? Jesus, the son of Adam, the son of God, has walked into Simon's workplace, Simon's little fiefdom, where he sits on his self-made throne and he said, Ah, Simon, I think you'll find that's my seat. For there is not one square inch of this planet that I have not declared mine. Into Simon's realm comes Jesus and he puts his finger on the very purpose of Simon's life, fishing, and says, Simon, I'm Lord over that as well. And Simon sees this in verse 8 and he is floored by it. He falls to his knees and he says, go away, I'm a sinful man. It sounds dramatic, doesn't it? But this is what it looks like when you see Jesus for who he really is, your king and your judge. It's the same response that the prophet Isaiah gave when he saw the glory of God. He said, woe to me, I am undone. I am completely broken. I'm a sinful man. Simon bows the knee, not before the teacher he respected in verse 5, but now before his God, the Holy One, who has found him out. He is without excuse. Have you ever been exposed like that? The sort of exposure where you know you have no excuse, no comeback, nothing. And when you're exposed like that, you want to do what Simon's doing here. You want to find the nearest hole and you want the earth to be buried on top of you. You want to just disappear. That's what it's like to see Jesus, the Son of God, for who he is. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And before this is a story of conversion, it's a story of conviction. And here is where discipleship begins. Humble, fearful repentance. But just as we move towards a close, see what happens next. Verse 10. Uh, Here's our gospel. Here's our sacred ground as Christians. Go away from me, I'm a sinful man, says Simon. Jesus, our Lord and judge, his response. Don't be afraid, Simon. Don't be afraid. Now, don't be afraid here doesn't mean, uh, don't be silly, Simon. You're tops, you're fine, you're a great bloke. Don't worry about it, we all make mistakes. I mean, that's what we do with each other, isn't it? Sometimes when we're exposed in our sinfulness, we try to sort of downplay it. We're all, we all sin, don't worry. That's not what Jesus is doing here at all. Don't be afraid here is acknowledging that Simon Peter's response is completely appropriate. Here is the one to fear. I tell you, says Jesus in another part of the gospel, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can raise it back up and judge. Fear him who says in the parable of the fishing nets, again later in the gospel, that at the last judgment he will scoop up men and women like fish in a boat and he will sort those who have acknowledged him and those who have not. No wonder Peter is afraid. No wonder he wants to be far away from Jesus. He's been found out by his judge. I am he, says Jesus, who made you. I am he who is Lord of the fish. In fact, by my voice they came into existence. I am he who gives you life and breath and everything else. I am he who raised your mother-in-law. I was there when you were born. I will be your judge when you die. Yes, Simon, I am he. But hear this. I am he, Simon, who was appointed to speak good news to you. I am he who has come for sinners just like you to announce favour 
So don't be afraid. Yes, you've spoken truthfully. You are a sinner, exposed. But you've no need to run. And I'm not going anywhere. I am the very place you need to be as a sinner. So don't be afraid. I have come to bring forgiveness. And to do so, he declares these words at the heart of our gospel. Do you see them there in verse 10? From now on, from now on, this is the day of favour. Here is the God who sends his son to announce the day open and then delivers on it by his mighty death and resurrection. Here is the God who, as a dear friend of mine describes him, he is the God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth. He's the God of from now on. From now on, our lives as disciples, that's our story. New pages, fresh starts. This is our God, freedom from guilt, because this is the year of his favour. From now on, we start again, says Jesus. But more than that, our lives as disciples, our stories are from now on, in that from now on, he is Lord over everything. Not just Sunday mornings, but Lord of the details, our thoughts, our meal tables, our marriages, our work. All lies open before him. All is his domain. And he says, don't be afraid. From now on, I am king here. And one other aspect that you see of this from now on in verse 10, from now on, you have a new purpose for which to live. I mean, it's the defining question of our age, isn't it? The simple question that we ask each other when we first meet. What do you do? And if you're a worker, more than likely, your answer is your work. You describe that. But because of the year of the Lord's favour, from now on, in whatever sphere you live and work, if you have come to him as a bankrupt sinner, you have a new answer to that question. I fish for men. That's what I do. Jesus began the passage fishing for Simon. He caught him by grace. And now Simon is caught up in Jesus' purpose, announcing favour to a broken world. Now they fish together. I was looking at this passage uh, this week and it reminded me of my own experiences growing as a disciple. I have a very distinct memory of uh, my very first time at youth group, walking up the stairs uh, of the youth group in uh, St Ives in Sydney and very tentative, very hesitant, didn't really want to be there. And there's this guy at the top of the stairs welcoming me and telling me to come in. Uh, six years I was in that youth group and six years later I stood on those same stairs welcoming others. That's what Jesus is doing with Simon here. That's what he does with all of us. He draws us closer and closer to him. He says, from now on, we fish for men together. And just as we close, we do with verse 11, with this wonderful picture of Simon Peter's response. It's discipleship unfurled for us, wholehearted commitment to Jesus. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Now here is how one Christian writer describes this verse. Jesus takes the paralyzing fear out of Simon's humble confession and leaves in its place a lion-hearted meekness and bold brokenness. Peter, James and John respond with hearts overflowing with the value of knowing and being with Jesus. Boats to land, their old life shipwrecked, leaving everything, including this catch of the century, leaving all they hold dear and all they built their life upon, leaving it behind. From now on, I'm with him. They follow. It's time to go fishing. Well, let's pray.
Now, Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your kindness. Uh, we thank you that you sent your Son to announce this year of favour. Uh, you sent your Son, who is our judge, but also our saviour. Uh, you sent him to call us sinners. And we pray, Father, that we would see in these wonderful verses what it means to follow him and that we would do that with joy. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. We're going to finish with a hymn where we are declaring that we are lining up with Simon as those who follow this Jesus. And so as the music begins, let's stand together and sing, I will follow him. <laughs>